Net-A-Porter presents the Incredible Women podcast, Series 7, Vision and Voice. Welcome to the new series of the Incredible Women podcast. I'm Kay Barron, Fashion Director at Net-A-Porter, and I'm so excited to be joined for this episode of our Vision and Voice podcast by Kate Bailey, the Senior Curator of Theatre and Performance for the V&A. A big title for a big job. Throughout her career, she has curated exhibitions spanning Alice in Wonderland, Glastonbury, opera, and Shakespeare. And now she is part of the incredible team bringing us the captivating Diva exhibition, which is open now and runs until April 2024. So there are no excuses to miss it, and you really won't want to. It celebrates some of the most iconic performers of all time, and it redefines what the word Diva means. It's multifaceted. I don't think there's just one definition of diva. Diva is a a term that can be adopted and adapted by performers of all genders. It should be a term of extraordinary power, an expression of femininity, a strong sense of self, courage, vision, attitude, flamboyance. I've seen it twice already and I will be going back for more. So I'm thrilled to meet Kate to find out what happens behind the scenes. Well, I am delighted to be speaking with you, Kate. And also the fact that we're doing this in person. I feel like podcasts now, it's all remote and I don't actually get to sit in a room with somebody. I'm very excited. And we will get to the Diva exhibition because I've got so many questions. I want to know everything that happens behind the scenes, all your trade secrets. But this is the Vision and Voice podcast. Have you always had a very strong vision about what it is that you wanted to do? Like when you were growing up, you're like, this is my aim. That's a very good question. Thank um, you. Good, good kickoff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess actually, probably I did, but you know, you go through different phases. But I knew from probably a teenager that I loved art, I loved history, but at the same time, I quite enjoyed maths and I quite enjoyed economics. So I guess it was really at that point at uni where I went to study art history, which nobody had ever done in my school. It was like this kind of mad idea that everyone's like, what are you doing? Why aren't you going to go and do a sensible subject? Through that, I kind of then went, no, I want to work in museums and followed in a very dedicated way the usual path or a difficult path, actually, to get there. And how did you know what that path was? I understood that you needed to get some work experience. So I focused my dissertation on a particular museum where I knew I could go and get work experience after. So that was my first tick. Which museum was that? (laughs) That was Leighton House Museum, which is a a beautiful artist's house in West London. And I wrote my dissertation on it and I thought, right, actually, if I can go and get some work experience there, I can go and sort of test it out. So that was like your love letter to them. Yeah. 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 So I did did that and then uh, went and worked there on a local artist exhibition and thought, yes, I've I've got a taste for this. And also I'd worked out that it was going to be the centenary of the artist's so there was going to be a big show at the Royal Academy and uh, had the opportunity to research a theatrical installation that happened around the rooms of Leighton House. So yes, yeah, so theatre and museums was like my first job, really. Because did you grow up going around museums? I mean, I, when I was a kid, I was dragged around every single kind of museum, stately home, I think in the country. Was that something that you grew up with that then you fell in love with it? I think we did a lot of museums like on a weekend. We'd go to the Science Museum and the Natural History Museum. Art, less so. I think I had to find that myself. And I found that through being interested in 
painting and, and drawing. Uh, but music and performance was like a huge passion for all of us as a family. Like music was always present. I remember going to my first theatre shows, the first musical shows. So I think I was really fortunate that parents took me to museums, but I loved art. We had music and and then I guess trying to find that path which could f- bring together art, music and performance. Because your job now, so senior curator of theatre and performance, was that a role created for you or is that something that is not common? I don't imagine it's a common job anywhere. But was that something that because you were focused on it, then it kind of grew from from your knowledge? Well, I kind of started in, in the museum sector and then I went to work in exhibition design where we were kind of working on bringing in theatre techniques to kind of make exhibitions. And then when I joined the V&A, which was actually um, working with the theatre and performance collections back in mm, 2003, 2004. Say it with pride. <laughs> <laughs> um, I well, I did come in to kind of look at exhibitions. I worked on an exhibition on the on a, a subject, the Great Night, a Great Night Out, which is the history of the West End. Uh, so that was my first exhibition, and then I guess I've grown with the collection and with the museum to to become a senior curator. I wasn't a senior curator when I started. Well, what is your vision when approaching a new exhibition? Like, how does it work? From this is an idea that I think would be interesting to have an exhibition on, to then actually you know, setting up and then selling the tickets. How does that work? It's a really interesting process because obviously the, the museum is full of curators and just amazing, inspiring collections and everybody is looking at things differently. So for me with Diva, uh, it was a an idea that I started bouncing around in my head. Actually, back in 2015, I found documents and then I first presented it as a concept in 2018. I am so interested in how it all works, especially with a museum of that size and how many different exhibitions are happening at the same time. Does it then go in front of a board to be like, you have to basically sell Diva to them? Pretty much. Okay, amazing. I mean, I would be completely (laughs) sold on Diva. Don't know who else they were fighting for, but I'd be like, no, that's the one you want. Um, Yeah, you're sort of... I guess, competing amongst your colleagues to land a show. In the nicest um, way, I'm sure. Very polite. In a very, very, and, and also, you know, from a museum perspective, you know, what's brilliant about the V&A is that, you know, you can have a Donatello exhibition next to a Hallyu, next to Diva, after Africa fashion. It's just so mixed and so rich that actually that's what makes the programme so exciting. And what are the emotions and reactions that you want to get out of an audience so when you're thinking about we're going to talk about diva now when you were thinking about that you're like what is it you wanted for that exhibition to do I think I'm perhaps a little bit unusual as a curator in that I do start as well with thinking about the stories and feelings and emotions and what you want people to feel and what you want people to kind of take away and particularly with, I mean, every exhibition is slightly different. When I curated Alice, it was about kind of inspiring imagination and curiosity and wonder. When I did the opera exhibition, it was very much about showing how this subject actually doesn't have to be elitist, is potentially democratic, has this relationship with city and cultures and wanted people to leave like understanding the passion, power and the politics of the opera. Then with Diva, it was about a sort of reclaiming and a and a retelling of a story but also you know that if you get the story and the music 
and the objects right, it could be such a powerful and inspiring and emotional narrative. Because the exhibitions that you have worked on have got a huge breadth of focus, as you were saying, there's like opera, Alice in Wonderland, Glastonbury. How do you immerse yourself in the subject in preparation and do you become like basically fully immersed in it? I think you have to be. If you're passionate about something, you become, of course, obsessed by it. You know, I always think with research that you're at the bottom of a huge pyramid and then curating is about editing and kind of getting to the top of that edit and the pinnacle of the, you know, the crystallisation of the ideas. But you can't do that unless you immerse yourself fully. And I guess there is a period of time where, you know, all I could see or think or breathe was diva or my playlist of diva or all the books that surround me were diva, the shows that I would go and see. So it was a pleasure to be fully immersed in in diva. But I think that's the only way to do it as a curator. Please tell me it hasn't like ruined a playlist or anything for you, has it? (laughs) Oh, no, it hasn't. And in fact, I did have a little bit of a pause from listening to the soundtrack in the exhibition because I'd been so sort of immersed in creating the sonic experience. And then when I go back to it, I put the headphones back on and, and get lost in it. But obviously that's playlist that's in the show is is uh, one version of it. There are many different versions that still bubble around in my head. Well, I was going to say, for anyone who hasn't been to see the exhibition yet, um, and I was saying to you earlier that when I go to an exhibition, if they offer me the headphones, I usually say no because I like to read everything. And when they said, no, 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 this is a soundtrack. And just how kind of amazing it is to walk through and and almost the music kind of leads you to the next bit before you even know what you're looking at. It's incredible. It's the first time I've ever experienced something like that. Oh, that's brilliant. I think actually the starting point often and with this show particularly has to be the music. So in a way you hear it almost before you, you see it. And if the soundtrack works, that's everything because it is, I think, the power of sound makes you look at things more. So as the music kind of relaxes you and takes you into the characters, the objects, that kind of brings them to life, but puts you in a sort of different diva world. But I think with the music as well, it then makes it appeal sort of to different audiences and, and yes, to bring things to life, but obviously the V&A has to keep changing with the times and attracting audiences. But what does the V&A mean to you and how, how is it changing with all, and how are the audience changing? Over um, your 19 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question because I think the V&A, or working at the V&A, I always think as a curator, you're a, a sort of pivot between the sort of past, the present and the future and that you have to have this kind of one foot with the institution, with this extraordinary collection. At the same time, your your space in the present is to engage with that past but take it very much to the future, which is also about thinking about what do the visitors want to, to know about and how do they want to engage with it? And thinking about the, the relevance of why you're doing something and how you can engage this extraordinary collection, this institution which has been around for over 150 years, how can you keep it feeling contemporary yet at the same time being respectful and challenging of its history and and representing the collections and interpreting them. For me, I guess the V&A is that sort of past, present, future, but also 
it's about being able to showcase such extraordinary creative talent across so many different disciplines. And why do you think now is the right time for Diva? In many ways, because the idea had been bubbling for some time. I was initially like, oh my goodness, have, have we missed the moment? But it actually feels with the wave of Divas on tour this summer, with the fact that the exhibition challenges and looks at the, the term diva for, through history and thinks about language and how the diva and performers are looked at and positioned and questioned and questioning the kind of negativity around the term. It felt like actually this is a this is a good moment to to reclaim it. You've got these extraordinary artists who are at the top of their game, but this word that had started as such a powerful word, why has it become negative? So I guess that curiosity and you know at the VNA we've done a lot of exhibitions that were looking at male artists which is also brilliant but actually we you know to really look at the diva and to celebrate the kind of lineage of female creativity but also this term in an institution it felt like um overdue actually but it's it seems to have landed at a time when everyone's thinking about the diva and what does the word diva mean to you now well i guess divas are inspirational visionary artists so something that we look at in the show is just these extraordinary talented performers with a voice using their voice it's multifaceted I don't think there's just one definition of diva diva is a a term that's um can be adopted and adapted by performers of all genders it should be a term of extraordinary power and expression of femininity a strong sense of self courage vision attitude flamboyance because I think also as you go through the exhibition the the interpretation of the word changes. I mean, you've got silent movie stars, you've got then the kind of old Hollywood before you go up the stairs. Then, of course, you come into the more kind of modern world divas. I'd love to have been a, a fly on the wall with the discussions of who was going into the exhibition, of who was classed as a diva and who wasn't. How did you decide who was going to be in there? Well, I guess because it was never intended to be a hall of fame. There's a reason it's called diva and not divas because it's exploring the concept of the diva. So the term diva and how it's been redefined, which is a slightly different to show to saying, oh, somebody's got to have this to fit in. And then because I was following a historical narrative right from the 1830s through to the present, it was then mapping a timeline of history, of change, of a kind of shift across discipline and thinking about performers that could tell that story. The performers who we presented in the show, they tell the story of the multifaceted diva and all of them are pioneers. Who would you say is your ultimate diva? Oh dear, that's a really, really difficult question because um, I think what makes the sort of strength of the concept is the multiple diva the diva universe the divadom and uh you know I guess I'd go to a different diva depending on what kind of mood I was in so rather than like making you pick one well. diva <laughs> is there one piece in the exhibition you're like if I could keep one thing from it what would that be I want all of Bob Mac all of Cher's Bob Mackey's dresses, <laughs> yeah. by the way. They they are amazing. And actually Bob Mackey's Tina Turner flame dress with the cape, 
the wings. I think everybody should have a pair of those wings for, you know. Oh, absolutely. uh, So that sort of should definitely fit your wardrobe. I guess, you know, some of the objects that are are really, really amazing um, are some of the sort of unexpected things. You know, the the lyrics, when you sort of see Sade's lyrics. Uh, Yeah, that was one of the pictures I took of as well. Yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, and you see that kind of creative process and, you know, what journey and what she's speaking to within within her music and that extraordinary kind of talent and creativity um but alongside you know Edith Piaf's throat spray so there's a kind of real mixture but then from a fashion point of view the sort of high glamour of the the Valentinos and the Versace upstairs I mean if only I had the chance to wear such a gown <laughs> well you can do I mean if I if I was if I was curating an exhibition I'd be I'd be sneaking off to try some of that on um I mean, how many of the pieces in the exhibition were already in the V&A collection? And how many did you have to go and source? And what was the piece that when you did source it, you were like, I can't believe that we actually mm-hmm. managed to get this? Well, the, the V&A collection is, is really strong on the, the British, particularly the 19th and early 20th century performance. So I'd say in terms of from the collection, there's probably about half of it was from the sort of museum collection. So where we needed to kind of borrow from museums, lenders, individuals, private collections um, was really to be able to shape it from the silent movies, some of the Hollywood into the rock and pop. So it's been a huge job to source those objects that kind of give it the full diva power and in terms of those finds, I guess, probably almost every object has such a satisfying moment when you discover it and then you see it and you bring it into the museum and then you present it and you conserve it. You know, this extraordinary encounter that a visitor gets when they see um, an, an object in a space. So that's always very exciting, gives you that kind of tingly feeling. Um, I think one of the most exciting was actually the Theda Bara because there was something about that uh, Cleopatra film. So she's also quite unknown for many visitors, this star of the silent movies, this movie that actually, you know, was lost from 1917, but what survived was this extraordinary exotic costume and being able to find that with a collector in Hollywood and borrow that and to restore it and to present that, that felt pretty exciting. But then at the same time, being able to showcase objects from Rihanna's personal collection. So when you see some of the Adam Selman piece or the Versace Pope look and see those up close, they're like unbelievable. But that uh, Margiela, like chainmail dress was or bodysuit was one of my favourite looks that she's ever worn. So I have to say, I I did have a little bit of a kind of starstruck moment with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing the power of clothing and they can do that to you. yeah. 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 Um, I think there's it, there's something quite extraordinary, obviously, when you hear the music, plus you have these pieces in front of you. I think because we're so used to seeing so many looks, whether they're historical, contemporary, um, digitally. And I think where the museum space and the exhibition world is so exciting is to use a different power when you're standing in front of it, the texture, the sparkle, the sort of finish. Also, the fact that you know that emotionally these have been worn by the performers. And also, I think choosing the imagery in there as well, that must have been a kind of enormous undertaking because you have these divas that have such a specific image. 
you know, if you think about Madonna, I've got a certain image in my head. So it's then, I suppose, then figuring out which image you're going to use in there, which either changes that perception of them or is the one that everyone's like, oh, of course, that's how everyone remembers her. Image making is such an important thread all the way through from those very early Victorian divas where you see those carte de visites, the, the Victorian photographs of the early singers. And then you think about how photography, how today film, video, music, Instagram, the kind of power of image making. So, so the image and the image making within the diva is obviously a thread throughout. Um, but choosing and landing on the images because you're working within a design as well and trying to make them work for individuals but also collectively so stylistically and aesthetically but also representing the moment of the diva that you're trying to express their narrative at that point. This exhibition has basically sold out and it's sold out since it opened which is incredible and I think especially when there's so much choice out there for people to go and see but this has drawn generations of people when I was there there was you know it wasn't just one type of visitor what is key do you think to attracting as wide an audience as possible I think the concept of diva is sort of fascinating and intriguing and it's interesting you mentioned the generations because that's one of the hugely joyful things about the show is that I've seen mothers grandmothers daughters and uh fathers and sons and there's a sense that it's intergenerational so I think you know landing on a a term that has meaning to so many different people but they're curious about of course the contemporary artists are really appealing because immediately you're kind of you you've got an access point but what I love about the show is that you might have you know be expecting to encounter Beyonce straight away but actually you're going to take a journey that will really make you think it's thought-provoking so it's popular and populist in many ways but it's also there's a a thought-provoking narrative where you will learn things that you you didn't know or you didn't know you were interested in. Well so I suppose it's the journey as to why Beyonce can be a diva because all of these other people were divas before. Yeah and it's interesting um, one of the areas of research was very much looking at the contemporary performers and then looking back and thinking, well, actually only a one diva knows what it is like to be another diva. So actually when the divas look to their inspiration, what's influenced them, actually it's, you know, how do you t- trace that story from Sarah Bernhardt through to Marilyn Monroe, look at Madonna, look at Gaga, look at Billie Eilish, look at these threads mm. and way that they network together was a was a fascinating thing. And to be able to kind of sow those seeds and provide visitors with that hook of interest. Well, I think it is really, it's amazing for young, young, well, girls and boys actually visiting and reclaiming the word as something very positive because I didn't grow up with the word diva being something positive and I think people still use it as something negative but for generations going and walking through that, seeing these incredible performers in there, then that already has changed what diva means and they can be proud to use it. But what has been, whether through your career, life in general, the best advice that you have ever had and who are the voices that you listen to? I think within curating diva, you know, listening to lots of expertise and consulting widely with colleagues and 
divas themselves or designers or collaborators. So there's a kind of very specific, important role for collaboration and listening in my career and in life. Be yourself. <laughs> Although don't be too much of yourself. In fact, one of the things I always find about advice when you're listening to advice is that you generally, one person will say one thing and one person will say another thing. So be yourself, but don't be all of yourself. Be courageous, but don't take too many risks. So I think listening and then finding, finding your, your path and yep. your balance and, you know, being fearless, following a passion, following a curiosity and being yourself. Following a curiosity is, is lovely. And also because it's trying to forge your own path and not follow exactly what someone else has been doing, which is clearly what you've completely nailed. <laughs> well, actually, I do listen to my kids. And do they give you a choice about that? Though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got two boys. Um, so curating a diva show with two boys who are 21 and 24, passionate about music. Um, we've had lots of kind of intense chats. But I think that's the other thing that's really interesting about it is that everyone will have their own opinion about about it, but you'll still come out if they're feeling it's an incredibly positive experience. Yeah. And actually, it's great if an exhibition makes visitors question and and if they disagree, agree, you know, add to the playlist, because that's the other thing. You know, there's a diva playlist and you can add your track and you can uh, shape it and take it with you. And the fact that it kind of resonates and has a connection with people is the best. And actually, what did your boys think of him? Well, um, they've been very complimentary, actually. My youngest, because it's technologically <laughs> quite interesting working on the, the soundtrack. So the Sonic Experience, we worked in a gaming engine. Um, oh, wow. Are you, my God, you're an expert in that now, too. Yeah, in a, <laughs> in a Unity gaming engine so we could map out the sounds. So my son actually was much better at navigating through the diva universe than I was as I was shaping the sounds with the sound designer uh so that's only because you had lots of other stuff going on too (laughs) definitely um a moment where he there was okay now i get what you're doing mum. but uh no they both loved it they love music and and they definitely had their favorites and i imagine that there's probably the next or next several exhibitions stewing in your head but what's next for you and have you got the kind of the eye on one of them at the moment (laughs) well with our collections and with the breadth of theatre and performance um there's always ideas fizzing um there's collections that we're looking at there's narratives there's ideas so I've got a few things that are bubbling you know a few artists and concepts I want to interrogate but um Yes, I can't really reveal what I've got in my brain at the moment. Watch this space. (laughs) Can you reveal what your subject of a dream exhibition would be? Well, I mean, Diva was a really big dream, actually. There was a lot of investment in that. And I think the opportunities of taking that somewhere else, I think pushing the the boundaries of exhibition making and creating sort of new museum experiences um, and in keeping the, the museum in a space where it's bringing in new audiences and allowing people to look at collections differently is what's firing me up. Well, I cannot wait to see what is next. But finally, whose vision or voice inspires you the most? Well, I've got fantastic colleagues at the V&A. The V&A 
is a unique place to work. Um, you know, I work in a department where we have, um, you know, fashion curators alongside furniture, textiles, and there's something so inspiring about that. Thank you so much for, for coming in. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's always great to kind of reflect on a show and, and it's on for a while longer. So, so yeah, till April 24th, yeah. saying there's absolutely no, there's no, <laughs> no. excuse for anyone yeah, to miss not it. to miss it, yeah. And surely, I imagine, will be extended beyond that too. Yeah, well, it will tour. It will tour um, internationally, so that's exciting. So if you didn't make it to London, you might catch it somewhere. Excellent, it's coming your way. Vision and Voice was brought to you by Netta Porte and Chalk and Blade. Hosted by Netta Porte's content director, Alice Casely Hayford, and fashion director, Kay Barron. The team at Netta Porte was Katie Barrington as the senior editor, with casting by Annabelle Brog and Olivia Wakefield, and coordination by Erin Shanahan. The producer at Chalk and Blade was Emily Wally. Original music by Alexis Adamora, and the series was mixed by Nassan De Silva.